Amen. Church, it is good to pray with you this morning. And for endless days, we will sing his praise. O Lord, O Lord, our God. And it is a delight to know that Grandma Pat is singing his praises right now. She will be missed, but we praise God that were she given the choice to come be here this morning or be where she is, we know exactly what she would choose because we serve a good and gracious God. Other things that you can be praying for in the the life of our church, uh, specifically uh, Tom Estes, pray that he would regain feeling uh, in his lower body and uh, that that would not progress upwards so he'd be able to continue to breathe normally. So many things that we need to bring before the Lord, and it was a joy to pray as a church through the Lord's Prayer because it really is, it really is the model of our relationship with the Lord. We have a Heavenly Father who provides for us. Well, this morning, would you stand with me as we open God's Word together and read from Matthew chapter 6. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, you guys, many of you know, I I love little fun anecdotes of history. And in 1912, this is probably actually a less fun anecdote, more of a little sad anecdote, 
But in 1912, inventor Franz Reichelt set out to test his wearable parachute that he invented, and he tested it by jumping from the Eiffel Tower. Now, Reichelt had tremendous faith in his invention, and although he had only been given permission by the government to to use his parachute on test dummies, he decided to use it on himself. Now, he had had some initial success tossing dummies off of the fifth floor of his apartment building, but then he updated the design several times and really did not have any subsequent success with his designs. But despite that, he decided that he was going to test this off the Eiffel Tower. So on February 4th, 1912, Reichelt jumped from the first deck of the Eiffel Tower, which is 187 feet in the air, and immediately fell to his death. Now, before jumping, Reichelt said, I want to try the experiment myself and without trickery as I intend to prove the worth of my invention. So Reichelt's faith in the worth of his invention was a little misplaced. Despite how much he believed it would protect him, it was ultimately unwise. Now we look at that story and we think, yeah, that was pretty unwise. But at the same time, we all have that same tendency where we are looking to place our faith in something that is not quite so reliable, a parachute that does not work. And in the passage we just read, we see that ultimately that is treasure here on earth, money. It's a foolish treasure, one that will not save us. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount, walking through this sermon series called Greater Righteousness, and The Sermon on the Mount has three teaching blocks. We've been through the first two, and we've been seeing that Jesus has been talking about a greater righteousness, not in the sense that I do a bunch of good things, but that I have within me an orientation towards God that leads to right speech, right behavior, and it all flows from my heart. That I'm a whole person. I have a whole love for the Lord. We've looked at this righteousness with relationship to the law of God, but also this righteousness with relationship to the spiritual things we do, our spiritual disciplines. And that was kind of the first block and the second block. And now we get to the third block of the sermon, and we move to Jesus talking about a greater, rela- rela- uh, sorry, a greater righteousness in relationship with the world. So this week we're going to see a greater righteousness with relationship to money, and the next week it's going to be in relationship with others. So ultimately, the world. And this first half here that we read and the second half that we'll see next week have a lot of linguistic parallels, so they are supposed to be linked together. And I I do believe Jesus is talking about our relationship with uh, the world around us, specifically with money, then with people. So we're in money this week. But let me pray, and we will dive into unpacking the text. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to have soft hearts, especially as we talk about the sensitive subject of money. May we hear from you this morning. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we dive in, here's our first point right off the bat. No suspense today. Our treasure reveals our loyalties and the orientation of our hearts. Our treasure reveals our loyalties and the orientation of our heart. Treasure, if you're wondering why I chose the title you know, a heavenly loot box. It's just a 
for the younger people here, you know what I'm talking about. That's just another word for like a treasure box that you find in a video game. Good little loot box. So that's what, if you're wondering, what the heck, is, what, what is this? That's what it is. We're talking about treasure today. And our treasure reveals our loyalties. Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, my treasure is what I fight for. It's what I look to. And Jesus is saying, hey, money, the things we store up in this world, ought not to be our treasure. It ought not to be our treasure. Paul, when speaking to the Corinthians, even says to them, wouldn't you rather be wronged? Wouldn't you rather lose all of your money than to lose a relationship with your brother? So we see the New Testament witness warns us against putting our faith and hope in money. And this kind of section here, verses 19 to 21, set up what follows in the rest of this section. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because the command is specifically, do not lay up treasures for yourselves. That's the kind of the, the negative. And then the positive, but lay up treasures for yourselves, or lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't lay up treasure, or for yourselves, treasures on earth. But why? Well, ultimately, earthly treasure is foolish. doesn't last. He's like, hey, it gets destroyed. And usually when I think of a treasure test, and you open it, you expect to find, you know, gems and gold. I mean, gold is valuable. One of the reasons it's valuable is because it doesn't tarnish. It, it kind of lasts. It keeps its luster so the idea of gold is that it's supposed to be something that we would think of as eternal. But Jesus here says, no, earthly treasure is really like opening up the treasure chest, and really what you're opening is last week's lunchbox. Growing up, my uh, mom used to pack me lunch uh, on, uh, you know, every day of the week. Well, sometimes you'd get to Monday, and you'd open up that lunchbox and realize that I had left Friday's leftovers from lunch in the lunchbox and here Jesus is saying, yeah, when you're trusting in earthly treasure, it's like finding last week's lunch. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Now, earthly treasure, the kind he's talking about, is not just coins, money, but ultimately is wealth. The idea of having the things of the world, the stuff of the world, the things the world offers. But he says, the stuff that the world offers, it gets destroyed, but instead have that heavenly treasure, something that lasts, something that's sure, something that we can all, all trust in. He says this kind of heavenly treasure is part of the flourishing life now. We've talked about this idea of the flourishing life as we've gone through the sermon. And sometimes we think when I look at giving up money, I think, well, then that's going to lead to not having the flourishing life. But Jesus says, no, you'll have the flourishing life. Store up treasure in heaven. As I store up treasure in heaven, that is the way to have the flourishing life here. Not in the sense that I get more, but that the orientation of my heart is now looking toward the kingdom of God instead of the things of this world. Now, when Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but in heaven... Is he telling us to swear away all earthly, give, all earthly goods and live in a van down by the river, not have any savings? Well, no. 
Because you can still live in a van down by the river, have no possessions, be dirt poor, and still be seeking earthly treasure. Jesus, throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, is speaking about your heart. Is your heart captivated by earthly treasure? Is it living for earthly treasure? Do you hold that earthly treasure with an open hand? You see, Proverbs consistently encourages us to be prudent in plan. doesn't say just get rid of everything and just go live in the van down by the river. No, be wise. Have a budget. Be planning. But ultimately, we see at the very end of this section, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's kind of summarizing what Jesus has been saying. So this idea of not laying up treasure for myself here on earth is, and instead laying up treasure in heaven is synonymous with seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And his righteousness. It's about being a particular type of person. That's where Jesus is warning. And that's what Jesus kind of unpacks throughout this passage. But that leads us to the question, how do I know if this is me or not? Okay, you know, I don't want to be, you know, just enamored with the things of this world. But also, I don't just want to kind of give away everything in the sense that I'm not planning, although I want to hold it all with an open hand. So Jesus, how do I know? How do I see what kind of heart I have? Well, that's what Jesus talks about throughout the rest of this section. He's going to give us two clear indicators that we are storing up treasure on earth. And it's not just what's your bank account balance. Instead, he points to things that are going on in the heart. In the heart. So let's look at the first one. It's covetousness. Covetousness. I'll tell you what this second point is here in a minute. But the first idea is covetousness. Now, how do we get there? What is going on in this section? We look at this and we're like, he's talking about a good eye and lamp of the body and a bad eye, like darkness and light. Like, what in the world? We read this and we're kind of like, okay, what? Commentators have kind of wrestled with this for a long time, and it's, it's a really interesting section of three verses. Your Bible might actually put a break in between verse 30 or 23 and 24, but ultimately these, these need to go together. This is one point that Jesus is making in 22, 23, and 24. But I think if we're going to unpack this rightly, we're going to start with what we know he's saying and then kind of work outward from there, like the sections that we know about. So in verse 23, Verse 23 is something that is very clear in the context or the culture that Jesus is talking about. The word there is an evil eye. So if you have an evil eye, your whole body will be full of darkness. Well, the evil eye meant to have a covetous eye. By covetous, that means you're, you're seeing what other people have and you long for it. You're jealous of them and you wish bad things on them because you want what they have. That's the evil eye. The evil eye. It's even used in that way in other places in Scripture. Deuteronomy 15, uh, verses 7 to 10, tells Israel to not be stingy. And the Greek translation of that says, don't have an evil eye. Also in Proverbs 23, verse 6, and in verse 22, or 28, verse 22, they say that a greedy or stingy person, the word that's used there, even in the Hebrew, is evil eye. Evil eye. So when Jesus says... Basically, hey, don't have an evil eye. He's saying don't be covetous. Don't be covetous. Don't be jealous of what other people have. So that's that part. 
because that, that leads to your whole body being full of darkness. And that's contrasted with your eye being good or healthy. Now, healthy is kind of a rough translation. It's really hard to capture everything that's going on in the word that's used for healthy. There's a lot of cultural background there, and Bible translators don't want to give you an entire paragraph of what's happening here, so they usually try to pick a word, and then they run with it. And healthy is pretty limited in what it tells us, but there's a word there that generally means singular or generous or whole. It's not the same word that we've been seeing elsewhere, specifically chapter 5, verse 48, 48, where he says, be whole or perfect as your heavenly Father is whole or perfect. But there's a lot of overlap in the meanings. They're kind of in the same word groups. So he's saying, hey, you need to have a generous eye. Don't have a covetous eye, an evil eye, have a healthy eye, a singular eye, one that comes out in a whole, from a whole person orientation towards God. He says that's the type of eye that you need to have. It's the type of eye you need to have. You need to be singular in your devotion to God. You need to have a generous spirit, and that is where our whole body is full of light. So a lack of generosity then shows that we're trusting in money for flourishing. If I can't let go of what I have, and I'm covetous, I'm not generous, then I show that I think what I have will lead to flourishing. And Jesus says that is not the way the follower of God ought to be. Ultimately, these verses are a play on words. They're a fancy kind of word joke that that Jesus is playing, talking about our eyes. Because the idea was your eye kind of revealed your soul, And it also, you know, brought in things from the outside world into your soul. And so Jesus is just saying, look, are you greedy and covetous or are you generous and giving? Generosity looks to give while covetousness looks to get. So here's our second point. Covetousness reveals that money is your master and generosity reveals that God is your master. So covetousness and generosity. Covetousness and generosity. Those are the things that we ought to look for in our hearts. If I see a lot of covetousness, then okay, well, perhaps, not maybe not perhaps, I would say most definitely, I'm trusting in money to be my treasure. In this section, in verse 24, he kind of sums this up. No one can serve two masters. You can only have one. One master is going to lead you to generosity. One master is going to lead you, lead you to covetousness. Now this idea of serving two masters, we look at that, that serving and we think, you know, I, I can have two jobs. A lot of you guys have two jobs. You're like, well, why can't I, why, why can't I Jesus? I seem to have two bosses. Well, the word here isn't the idea of serving in a job. It's the idea of being a slave and being owned. The word there is related to slavery. He's saying you can't be owned by two people. There's no wiggle room in this. You are either a slave to money or you are a faithful, beloved slave to the Lord. He's like, it's either or. There's no ride in the middle. It's no like, Lord, I love you. I'm with you, but I'm going to have my side hustle over here. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
kind of get things to make my life a little better, and Lord, I'm, I'm going to be kind of controlling this over here. You, you do your thing over there, Lord, or I'll even maybe kind of give out of this every now and then, but, you know, this is really going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour a lot into here. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's either one or the other. He says there's no room for side hustles. No room for side hustles. Now, we also have another sad tendency. And I want to be very clear about this. I I am a fan of budgets, okay? I think budgets are godly and wise. If you do not have a budget, I strongly encourage you, get yourself a budget. It, It is good stewardship, and it frees you up to give. It frees you up to be somebody who is more faithful with his money. With that said, budgets can become our gods. And we need to be careful when we live by our budget to ask the question, is the budget dictating what I need to do or is the Lord dictating what I need to do? Because budgets bring stability. And it's easy to trust in that stability over the stability that God brings. Now hear me out. Again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a budget. But where is your heart? Would you be willing to make a radical sacrifice in your budget? Change it drastically if the Lord led you to or brought an opportunity along your path? Would you be willing to let go of that and say, you know what? We don't need these things over here in our budget. We're going to change it this month. Because God is asking me to give this over here, to be generous. This whole issue of the evil eye and the good eye, it's not a rich versus poor. Because again, you can be poor and still have an evil eye. But there is a danger in wealth. There is inherent danger in having a great deal of wealth. And I say this with with great love, because I know that many in our congregation, the Lord has blessed you with great wealth. And I just beg of you to be surrendered and careful with that wealth. Because it is a snare. It is easily a snare on us. Do we hold it with an open hand? Or am I constantly saying, well, in just a little while, when I have this next thing, then I'll be okay. Is there always the next thing on the horizon? Or are you able to be content? Are you able to be content? One just general application for all of this, this covetousness and this generosity thing. What's one step that you can take in becoming more generous? None of us have gotten to the perfectly generous place, okay? None of us have this heart that's like, man, I just can't wait at every single opportunity, every single time, forever and ever, amen, to be generous. Like we all are clinging on to something. So here's the thing. What's one step that you can take in becoming more generous? Maybe it's beginning to give consistently. Not just to the church, but to things in general. Maybe it's increasing what you give. Maybe it's starting giving. Maybe it's actively going to the deacons and saying, is there somebody in our church that I can give towards so that they can be blessed? What's one step that you can take? That'll be the exercise of letting go. Opening our hands. Somebody who's not trusting in money, as I said, is free to give it away. Maybe I hadn't said that yet. I deleted it out of my notes earlier. There we go. Someone who is not trusting in money is free to give it away. So our second point again, covetousness reveals that money is your master and generosity reveals that God is your master. 
All right, looking at what we're saying, what we're going to look at in the third point. The second indicator, the second thing, if you want to look at your heart, anxiety. If you want to look at your heart and see, am I somebody who's laying up treasure on earth? Anxiety will tell you. What are you anxious about? Because anxiety reveals trust in material possessions instead of our Heavenly Father. Anxiety reveals trust in material possessions instead of our Heavenly Father. I'm specifically talking about anxiety over money and the circumstances of my life. It's not a broad blanket anxiety statement. Jesus gives this command, Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life. Then he repeats it again at the end of the section where he says, Hey, therefore do not be anxious about uh, tomorrow for today has its own trouble. Uh, so we get this com- these commands bookend this section. Do not be anxious. Now, why are we anxious? All of us were created for shalom, for peace with God, for right living with God, for connection with our Heavenly Father. That's what we were created for, having all things right in the world. And money gives the false promise of that shalom. Because like, oh, money's going to enable me to have the security I want. It's going to enable me to do the things that I want. Has that stability. Fulfills desires. But money does not bring us shalom. Money as a master is more like this. You may be familiar with the idea of the monkey trap. And in South Asia, the monkey trap is basically where they would cut a hole in a coconut. It's just big enough for the monkey to stick his open hand inside They tie this coconut to a post or a tree, and then they put something attractive like rice or a banana or some type of food in there to lure the monkey in. So he sees it, he reaches inside, he clutches his treasure, but with the closed fist, he can't get it out. And that is the kind of master that money is. We see it and we think, oh, if I just kind of get a hold of it, it's going to provide me all the peace and shalom that I need. But once I have it, I'm stuck can't get out because it does not provide shalom and until I'm willing to let it go only then do I actually have peace I have to have an open hand you know what the beautiful thing about an open hand is when it's open yes God can take things away but it also means that God puts stuff back in I don't have to fear when I open my hand and let the money go Are we willing to let go of our perceived need for material possessions? Because that is what those who do not know the Lord do. That's what the Gentiles do. They're anxious. They don't know the Lord, so they can't trust in His provision. So, what's the solution? And this may be familiar to you, because we've talked about it for weeks now. Because we can't just stop it. We can't just say, okay, I'm no longer going to just trust in money. I'm going to find something else. No, we have to trust in our Father. This section is an invitation to look at the character and nature of our Heavenly Father and respond accordingly with trust. This is very familiar to what we saw in the Lord's Prayer last week and what we just read or what we prayed through uh, before I got up here. The whole Sermon on the Mount is built around our relationship with God. And a relationship with an, under, or an understanding of that relationship that He is our Father. And it's important for us to see that God is indeed our Father. 
For some of us, it's easy to see God as holy and majestic. But if we forget that God is our Father, which again is the way that Jesus continually describes who God is in this section, if we forget to see Him as Father, we are denying the reality of who He has revealed Himself to be. We must see Him as Father. To deny Him as Father is to deny Him as who He is. He is our Heavenly Father. Okay, I'm getting excited, but here's, here's the fourth point. Our Father graciously provides, and so we can trust in Him and His provision. Our Father graciously provides, and so we can trust in Him and His provision. And we see this in the argument that he gives in this section, right here. He starts talking about the birds of the air. Here, I'll throw this up just a little bit longer. Father provides provision. Those are your three words. So we have what's called the argument from the lesser to the greater. Not to be confused with the argument from the greater to the lesser. This is from the lesser to the greater. And it's the idea, hey, this lesser thing has God's concern. And he raises two points, like the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. But God, but God, God, verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Don't be anxious. Because God is this way. Verse 30, but if God does this, won't he do this other thing for you? Won't he provide for you? His concern for you is far greater than the birds or the flowers. We used to have a dog, you know, several weeks ago we talked about my love for corgis. And uh, our dog Gus, uh, our, our former corgi, he had terrible allergies. He was allergic to something in our house or yard. We could not figure it out. And he would get these terrible sores underneath his arms from all the itching that would happen. And when that would happen, we would take him to the vet and they'd give him, you know, prednisone shots and put him on medicine. And we would try everything. Like, we tried diets. We tried, you know, medicine. It was like we, we could not figure out what was going on with our dog. But every time, we would faithfully take him to the vet when this stuff would flare up. Now, we do that for our dog or did that for our dog. If our children were to get sick, obviously we would take them to the doctor if we were willing to take our dog to the vet. And Jesus here makes the same argument. He's like, God cares for something that has very little value. But you are made in the image of God. So of course He cares for you and will provide for you. There's no need to be anxious. There's no need to have these continual questions. When it talks about uh, the way that the um, Gentiles seek after these things, Jesus, the, the Greek there, uses a verb that's this continual idea. It's not just I ask, oh, where I, where's my food going to come from? It's that I continually ask, oh, where's my food going to come from? It's like my attention is just totally focused on this one thing. I can't shake it. I have to have that more than anything else. Because Jesus is not saying don't have concern over where your next meal will come from or fail to plan or exercise wisdom. Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 8 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Basically, the ant doesn't need to be told to go store up food. It's wise. It does it because it needs to be prudent. But for the warning that Jesus is giving is that don't let your lives be consumed by this worry. 
This should not be your primary concern. It shouldn't keep you from loving for and caring for others. You need to continually be generous, even in the midst of physical hardship. Why? Because we have this Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. And what exactly does God provide? Our daily bread. What we need today. See, we get in trouble when we start thinking about the future. The tomorrow. This continual long and groaning for what the future will hold. Jesus says, no, just today. You don't need to worry about the provision for today. God will provide. Tomorrow will worry about itself. After all, to give an argument from the greater to the lesser, hasn't God given us his own son? If he's given us his own son, won't he provide what we need here? See, we all deserve to die. We were enemies of God. We've rejected him. Our sin put a chasm, an infinite chasm that we could not cross between us and God. But God said, I love you and I will pay for you anyways through Christ's death on the cross. And when we believe and follow Jesus, when we say, yes, Jesus, I believe that your death is enough, then we have this heavenly Father. He's no longer just God on high, but He's God on high who is our Father. He's no longer just fatherly. He is now our Father. And He will provide for us. How does He usually provide for His people who are in need? The church. I hope this is true. It's what I've been told. I was told from reputable sources that in 2008, when obviously the whole economy and many people were hurting, we as a church had our best financial year. And that we as a church weren't hurting. And we were able to provide for many people because of the generosity of the other people in the body. That is what the body of Christ ought to be like. God provides for us through the body. Jesus gives this concluding command of seek first the the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So seek his righteousness. Again, this is the theme we've been talking about for weeks. Be the type of person that Jesus is talking about. It's not something we can manufacture. It's something that happens when we surrender to Christ. It's that type of person. It's based on a relationship with God as Father. And seek the kingdom of God. That's not saying we're actively trying to bring it about, although we do. We are commanded to to do that. But specifically that we are submitted to His rule and reign. And that type of heart is not fretting about where provision will come from. All of these things will be added to you. Your Heavenly Father will care. It's a promise that Jesus gives. So application. What is one area in your life, monetarily speaking, that you're anxious about? And then examine, is that for today or is it for tomorrow? I think if we're honest, most of the things that we're anxious about are really actually tomorrow. And that doesn't mean that they're unimportant or that we shouldn't care, but... Am I fretting over something that needs to be fretted over tomorrow? Or am I just willing to say, you know what, I just need to get through today. God in His graciousness has made us physically so that we need to sleep every day. We get to hit the reset button every single day. What a blessing. Isn't it weird when you kind of like, if you've ever had to travel and you stay up like all night and uh, 
everything is just like, what is happening? I don't, I don't like this. God in His mercy made us to be one-day creatures. One day at a time. Just look to Him. Look to Him with our anxieties for today and say, Lord, help me to let this go. And help me to see the things for tomorrow for exactly what they are. They are things for tomorrow. And that treasure here on earth is not going to fix the tomorrow problems. It will not fix it. Because that treasure, wrath, broth, rust and moth destroys it. Your Roth IRA ain't going to save you. <laughs> All right, here's our response for this morning. Lord, help me to be the righteous person who trusts in you, not money. Help me to be that kind of person. Church, we are tempted to believe that God will not come through. But Jesus proclaims to us that he will. He will provide and he loves those in his family. We don't need to treasure and trust in money and the things of this world because we can trust on him and rely on him together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are kind to us and you are our father. We thank you that you provide We praise your name that you are a good and gracious God who is with us today so that we do not need to be anxious. Lord, you are worthy of our worship because you do care and you are able to provide. Help us to not be enamored with the things of this world and believe that they will somehow satisfy us and bring us the peace that only you can bring. Father, help us to cling to you as our sole provider because that is who you are. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.